tuned in to the cold hard truth. Cayman's number one hard-hitting live podcast show, where we feature some straightforward conversations on political, social, and celebrity news, and all things happening in the Cayman Islands and around the world. This show was created to give the people a voice and a means of being involved and informed without any filters. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. We bring you the tea. Piping hot, so grab your favorite beverage and join the conversation via WhatsApp at 324-1612. Email tips at caymanmarlroad.com. Now, here's your host, Sandy Hill, broadcasting live from the beautiful Cayman Islands. Okay, good morning, beautiful people. It is Tuesday, January the 5th. Can you believe that we are 20, or 20, we are five days into 2020 already. I see Morna is the first one, first person out of the barn. Good morning to the beautiful Morna. Thank you for logging on. What is going on this morning? Happy, happy Tuesday. Um, let me just see now. Ah. Um. All right. So we've got a full 
schedule lined up for you guys here today. I was just um, confirming a guest that's going to be joining us a little bit later on. Um, you guys will want to stay tuned for this one because there is someone who needs your help. Speaking of people who um, need our help, uh, there was an announcement by the Ombudsman's office yesterday that they're looking for the public's assistance. And um, what on earth is this? they're looking for the public's assistance um, with the investigation of how the police conducted themselves in the murder of um, a young man on Christmas Eve, Michael Aaron Bush. Good morning to Sharon as well. So as you guys recall, this was the last um, death we had in the Cayman Islands, and he was stabbed at the Strand Complex. And there were some concerns that were raised, in fact, directly to us by eyewitnesses. And one of the eyewitnesses provided a video basically demonstrating, um, well, I think you can plainly see, um, about a dozen people uh, hanging around the body. One girl was crying and, you know, whatever over the body of this young man and others were kind of just standing there looking. And, um, interestingly enough, the police were also seen in this video footage standing back from the crowd, pretty much leaning up or standing right by their vehicle. There was no crowd control. There was no, um, attempts to secure the scene. And so there were some, um, you know, allegations made against the police that they were not doing their job. Well, folks, when something like this happens, good morning to Sophia, good morning, Felicia, good morning, Anne-Marie, and the rest of you who are watching. Um, when something like this happens and a complaint is made, as in this case, the police said, right, um, no worries, we... Uh, Obviously, they thought that there was some merit to this because they've actually passed this on to the ombudsman's office. The ombudsman's office, their responsibility now is to carry out an independent investigation. So here's the thing, though, folks. Um, if people who were at the scene do not come forward, and I know that there would have been tons of videos out there, videos, photos, whatever, if those individuals do not now come forward and assist the ombudsman by giving statements of what they saw, what they witnessed, they can't go off a of hearsay. They can't go off of an article that was in Cayman Mall Road. So, you know, unfortunately, it is one of those things where the parties that would have been um, witnessing what was transpiring need to now step up to the plate and um, do their part. So every single person who was complaining to me, whoever you are, you now need to contact the ombudsman's office because they're asking for your help in this investigation. So in other words, they need more information. What they have <clears throat> is simply not enough. And if it's not enough, um, that means that they will not be able to come to probably any meaningful conclusions. 
And so if this is a situation where the police themselves need to be reprimanded or retooled or whatever, if the evidence does not exist, then what, what can they do, right? So um, I always say in this program, it's fine to sit back and expect other people to always be willing to speak on your behalf. But at some point in time, that just doesn't fly. At some point in time, you have got to be willing to step up to the plate and um, do what is required of you, inform yourself, participate in the process, vote, register to vote. These are all of the things, um, these are all of the things that, you know, you as citizens of this country must be willing to do. And I get it. I, I trust me, I get that for whatever reason, a lot of people can choose not to speak out in this country. But really, in my opinion, you're doing yourselves a disservice. You're doing the community at large um, a, a disservice because this young man could have been anybody's child. And there is the real potential that justice will not be served here. You know, if, <clears throat> if it is a case where, unfortunately, um, the police did not handle the situation right. And it may have, in fact, cost him his life in the sense that time was wasted. Um, you know, maybe he could have gotten to the hospital quicker. We don't know, right? That's what the ombudsman's office is there to do. They're there to look at all of those details. I'm sure they'll be reviewing the 911 call log to see when the call was received, what was the response time from the RCIPS, what was the response time from the EMT services, um, and all of that, right, to make a determination if anyone did anything wrong, and if anyone did anything wrong, where the fault is to lie. Um, is my camera? Oh, there we go. For a second there, I can even see myself. Um, so I think that this is really, really important. If you were at that um, complex, the Strand, and you have some information that could be of assistance to the authorities, you are encouraged to now reach out to them and simply do your part. It is so incredibly easy. But without that, I'm afraid that um, there might be no, no finding of anything, really. Like I said, that child could have been my child. It could have been your child. It could have been your grandchild. It could have been anyone's family. And if a life could have been saved because of, um, you know, because of time, um, how the crime scene was handled. I mean, they have made an arrest, obviously. They've had CCTV footage, and they have made an arrest in this case. But again, it's entirely possible that an arrest, um, you know, could have been hindered if they did not even properly secure the crime scene. So there's so many questions here, I think, that need to be answered. And um, I think, again, it's incumbent on those of you who are um, able to assist the authorities to please do your part, essentially. All right. So good morning to your international crew. I see uh, Miss Darlene is here. Andy, are you overseas? I'm kind of thinking that you may be. Good morning to Andy. 
Darlene joining us from the UK, Melita right here from the KY, Miss Andine, what is going on? How are you? Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, big shout out again to Mr. Woody DaCosta. Woody's taking a little bit of a break, I think, until he decides in his next move. I see Barry Quappe has um, started her show this morning. Um, and there you have it. There's some people who are saying to her, welcome back where you belong. So that's quite interesting. Um, nonetheless, today's a big day for the Cayman Islands because we will be, and by the way, I see Perry's actually changed the time for the show from 7 a.m. until 9 a.m. So she's not no longer going to be going until 10. Um, and here's, here's something that you'll find interesting. The compass is already, um, <laughs> They're already understanding that there is significant backlash over their decision. So um, when they announced on the page, they have up a flyer saying this is showtime for Barry. Um, when they announced that on the page, they had to remind people to be nice and, and remind you of their community standards or unless you get blocked, I suppose. Um, so that's so incredibly interesting that they would need to post that comment because I've never seen the compass post about community standards before, no matter how hot the topic was to be quite frank and honest. Um, and yet here it is. We are at, we ask that you please follow our community standards when commenting on our Facebook page. If you do not follow these standards, you will be removed. Wow. What a mess. Where, where's the, I feel like I need a button for that. Where's my what a mess button? Um, I don't think I have a what a mess button. I need one. So the next appropriate thing is probably the jackass button for the compass. Maybe they're like the jackasses of the week. Okay, Sophia, good morning. If the shoe was on the other foot... Uh, you'd see how fast the police hunt down the boy. Facts is too much expats in the police and they have no care for Caymanians. Well, whatever the reason is, um, Sophia, there were tons of Caymanians there, I can assure you, at that event. And this is now where every single one of those Caymanians need to step forward. To me, it's, it's really, really simple, actually. Um, they may have done a poor job for whatever reason. I, I can't necessarily say what that reason was in any definitive way. Yes, we have our opinions about, you know, what transpired. But um, if the authorities are now saying the ombudsman's office, um, assist us in getting the job done um, in terms of holding someone accountable and you don't do that, well, then we can't really blame anybody else, can we? Um, so, um, today's a big day for the Cayman Islands. We are getting our first batch of vaccines coming on the BA flight a bit later on this afternoon. Now, what a hot mess with the BA, um, not really the BA flights, but the UK, 
going in complete lockdown until February. Wow. They are um, really and sadly in a bit of a predicament where uh, there's no light at the end of the tunnel for them, even with their vaccine efforts. Isn't that crazy? So they are doing their best to vaccinate people and to try to make some headway. But the reality is they are no better off right now than they were before they started vaccinating people. people, And arguably, they are worse off. We're going to talk about some of that tomorrow. We'll leave that till tomorrow. But I just want to remind you um, that the vaccine comes in. And um, at the end of the day, you, um, wow, I'm just reading some of these comments <laughs> on the Compass website. And you guys are really pissed off about this. Whoa. I mean, every single, almost every single comment is just like, we're pissed off. What a mess. Um. Anyway, I... I I get distracted. <laughs> I'm very distracted here this morning. Anyway, the vaccine is coming a bit later on this afternoon. I want you guys to make sure that you stay tuned for that. We will live stream the portions that we can. Obviously, there are protocols at the airport um, that we must follow in terms of protecting the privacy. We've been reminded of this, of the persons coming off of the flight. So, um, but we still want to, I know a lot of you are very skeptical about the vaccine process. And um, yeah, we definitely want to ensure that we bring you some accurate information on that as much as possible. So good morning, Miss Anna. Good morning, Nancy. Darlene says it's a hot mess here in the UK. I can't even imagine, uh, Miss Darlene, what that must be like living there right now. Uh, good morning to Larry from New York. Yonkers, thank you so much for tuning in. And then Morna says, and here we are in the Cayman Islands talking about opening our borders. I truly wish that things can get back to normal. But what to do? Well, um, probably what not to do is open your borders right now. And I know that's a dismal proposition. Has anyone heard? I'm curious, by the way. Has anyone heard anything about, remember how last year there was an announcement made that the cruise ships would um, not be welcomed. Um, we we're closing the ports until December the 31st. Someone reminded me a couple of days ago that, hey, December 31st has come and gone. And we have not really heard anything specific to the cruise industry. So does reopening our borders in, what did he say, March? Does that include um, reopening the cruise ports? I would hope not. Um, there's so much more difficult to control even than the plane situation, which we see is near impossible to control, really. Um, so a number, a number of concerns, I think, about this concept or this idea that we're really reopening in a few months' time. I think it's wishful thinking. To be honest, Morna, on the part of the premier, I do not see us reopening our borders in March, not fully reopening. I don't know what the next phase is, but um, we can see that according to the authorities, they are still investigating four additional quarantine breaches. 
investigating, meaning they probably happened and the authorities just don't have a clue. So uh, they can't prove it, but they've got more than four that they should in all likelihood be investigating. Is the new strain here in the Cayman Islands? We have no idea of knowing that. We can't test for the new strain. We can only test they'll still show up as positives. And so yesterday's announcement that there was nine additional positives from travelers really, I think, sends a, a strong message that reopening our borders in March is probably going to be the biggest mistake that this government makes. But maybe they're okay with that because they've already received all of their accolades and pats on the back and badges of honor and whatever um, for their handling of the pandemic before the pandemic was even over. Yeah, jeez, we're going to get there, folks. Trust me, we're going to get there. But what I want to talk about largely today is um, I've got a couple press releases and stuff here in my hand that I don't want to mix up. I want to talk about <clears throat> this Legislative Assembly um, Law 2020 that was passed. I must be honest. Good morning, Mr. Donovan. Um, Andes says, I saw the same girl too. Oh, before we get into this, let, let me back up, folks, because I do want to address the Skylar Mac rumor, right? So let me give you the backstory. <clears throat> From December the 24th, we received several phone calls that said the governor was um, going to pardon Skylar Mack um, because they had been receiving pressure from the FCO who had been receiving pressure from um, the Americans. Now, of course, we uh, try to always go through official sources and try to get them to confirm or deny these rumors. And this was no different. We contacted an official source um, in the governor's office. We don't necessarily name them because really and truly we don't really need to. But um, this person said, no, it's not true. All right. That was December the 21st. We said, fine. There's no reason to not believe this individual. If this individual gives me their word, um, they have never lied to me before. And their word is as good as gold. That's how I see it until someone has, you know, provided me with misinformation or lied to me um, or whatever, right? So no worries. So um, we accepted that. We continued to hear the rumors and we continued to tell people from our perspective, these rumors are not true because we have it on good authority, official authority, really. Um, the governor's office has said that this is not true. And if they say it's not true, then there's no reason for them to lie to us. Um, so the, the discourse continued. Day before yesterday, which would have been Sunday, again, I'm getting a whole set of other individuals saying the same story that Skylar Mack is about to be pardoned. So I thought, right, let me, one of the ways in which we try to, um, ascertain the the truthfulness or the veracity of you know any rumors that are out there is we're going to go to multiple sources right so in this instance now i contact my um prison source and i say hey um what can you tell me about 
the Skylar Matt person because I don't want to implant anything in their head by saying, oh, this is the rumor. Tell me if it's true or not, because that's not really the way to test information. So the person said, okay, let me, let me make a few phone calls because they don't know anything about it. Let me check into it. And they came back and said, um, yes, there is this rumor um, that she is uh, going to be pardoned. And the pardon, um, you know, has not, the documentation, so there would be an official paper, has not yet been received from the governor's office, but supposedly the prison authorities are waiting on it. I thought, okay. And then another source, unconnected to the other sources, uh, calls and says, well, VJ's family is saying the exact same thing, that Skylar is going to get a pardon, and that VJ has not been afforded the same treatment um, of being pardoned. And I'm thinking, okay, well, wouldn't his family really know what's going on? And yes, they have seen the documentation allegedly in question, and they are questioning, um, you know, the veracity of uh, what's going on. They've spoken to their lawyers, and they are concerned um, about, you know, this situation with Skyler. They, um. You know, they're, they're worried that, that VJ is not going to get the same treatment as Skylar. Um, you know, the, it, the rumor had grown a lot of legs. Let's just put it that way, right? So then I said, okay, well, somebody calls you and tells you this again. Um, what do you do? I pick up the phone. They, this person gave me a phone number for a family member. I pick up the phone. I call this family member. Um, they had not seen the documents, but they're like, yes, this is what other family members are saying who have said that they have seen the documentation. I'm like, are you sure? Yes. Okay. So that prompted me to call another government official who again would be in the know. And this person said, no, absolutely not. And again, this person for years has been a good go-to person. They've never, I've got a good working relationship with this individual. They have never been dishonest with me. Um, if they don't want to tell you something, you'll find that people will respond to you in a particular way, but you know, they don't ever lie to me. So I try to ask very direct questions that you can only say yes or no to, and then you can figure out precisely what's going on. So this individual said, no, Sandy. And they said, as a matter of fact, um, just as an aside, the governor himself has been in quarantine because he's had family come in from overseas. And so he only came out of quarantine a couple of days ago. So when he would he have been, you know, rushing to his office to sign um, a, uh, a pardon for Skylar Mack? Um, I think the governor has a very good sense of, you know, this community is outraged by her behavior as well as VJ. We're not separating the two of them in any way. And what they did. And, um, you know, we would not be pleased with him or any other politician, even someone from the FCO attempting to interfere in the process. And I've expressed those concerns very, very clearly. So fair enough. Uh, this other source said, nope, it's not true. So yesterday morning, we got a phone call that said, uh, well-placed um, sources at the airport are saying that Skylar's boarding the plane. Now, keep in mind that the day before, part of that rumor is that she was leaving tomorrow, which would have been yesterday. 
So now when this other person calls and says, another contact has said to them, she's on the plane, we were like, huh? So what we decided to do, and we actually made an error, and hey, we are here to accept our mistakes. We made an error in saying that she was actually, well, according to this source, she was actually at the airport. While we were putting that up, we were also on the phone again with multiple prison sources saying, where's Skylar Mack? Because if she's left, people at the prison are obviously going to know. My prison sources are saying, Sandy, they're making their calls and she's still in prison. So we put up this story that said someone at the airport is claiming that Skylar is boarding this plane. Despite the fact that the governor's office and other well-placed government officials have said she's not been granted a pardon. The reason why we thought, despite her not being granted a pardon, again, we had no um, qualms with that being the truth. But could it have been a calculation of time? And this is where we don't know the prison system precisely. We know it's a 60% rule. So she serves, um, I think, is it? does she get a 60% discount? It's something outrageous, right? So she serves less than half of the time anyway. And I'm thinking, well, she's been in prison for a little minute. Could it be that the calculations have already been done by the prison staff and she's just getting released? So I want to make it clear that we were not saying that the governor's office or anybody connected to that, any official source, was being dishonest in what they had said to us and how they had responded to her questions. We were just saying that, listen, the governor's office have definitely denied the rumor that she's been granted a pardon, but other people are saying that they see her at the airport leaving. Could it be that, you know, maybe it was just her time was up because I think they get five days in for like good behavior or five days that they can just give them. I mean, listen, they calculate it. I don't know. So now we know that Skylar has definitely not gone anywhere. We know there definitely is no pardon that will be coming her way. Um, our sources have said she's probably going to be out around the 20th of the month, which is just a couple weeks away. Again, it didn't make any sense to me in any event why the governor would want to interfere with such a short sentence. It's not like we had given this girl a death sentence. I mean, seriously. So um, I think that that rumor has definitely been debunked. I think it's important. You know, we are the mall road after all. And I do think that it is important for um, rumors that are out there to be addressed. I've always said this, and I stand by this position. When you do not address the rumors, you only allow them to fester and to grow even more legs. And so, like I said, we had been sitting on this rumor for a number of weeks. We'd heard it on Christmas Eve, in fact, and we did nothing about it except to ask the questions behind the scenes. And the rumor just kept going and kept going. So the rumor wasn't dying down. And I think in large part, that's what led to us addressing it yesterday. I think what we needed to do is be a little bit more forthful, um, forceful and um, check in the source that claimed that they saw her at the airport. Now that source is saying, uh, well, it was a case of mistaken identity that all, I guess, all blondes look alike, which of course isn't true. Um, Darlene, thank you again so much for that comment saying that Cayman should not reopen anytime soon. And she's encouraging uh, people to take the vaccine. Um, Sue says, while the UK and US are so bad, they can't possibly, we can't possibly, I think is what that's supposed to mean. Open our borders should stop the BA flight from coming in. 
Uh, good morning to Miss Corrine representing West Bay. Good morning, Denise. How are you, my dear? Um, good morning. Sue, Sue realized that she forgot her, her manners just now. Uh, Fabio says, only in Cayman, sigh. Tracy, good morning, Tracy. Let's do a warm welcome. I feel like I need on my little um, machine over here a little bit of a hand clap. Because uh, Tracy is one of those people that is joining us. She was a faithful listener over at Rooster at Cayman Crosstalk. And she has now joined us here on um, CMR as a regular viewer since yesterday. So let's give her a little praise the Lord. Good morning, Tracy. As you can see, we like to have fun on this program. And we also like to educate people. We are here. We're debunking rumors. We're educating people. We are doing the most. So CC says, garbage. Caymanians serve the full time. Actually, they do not, CC. Nobody serves the full time. In fact, um, even lifers don't really serve life anymore. It's like a 35-year sentence and then they're eligible for parole and all sorts of stuff. So nobody serves a full time. Uh, Jess says, if this was so, Granny would be all over Fox News laughing at us. Yes, Granny Mac would be saying, we won, persistence won. Um, Catherine says, totally agree about the BA flights being stopped for a while. And uh, Janelle wants to know why the special treatment. Well, she's not getting any, according to the authorities. She is still very much locked under key. So, um, Eduardo Cole Brown says, who cares? Everybody breaking the law and getting off. Erks! What? Everybody's not breaking the law. And everybody's not getting off. Trust me on that. Speaking of people not getting off, um, in court this morning is Salvin. Do you guys remember that name? Um, is it Cabello, Caballero? Let me double check here. He is the person, the gentleman, he's an EMT. He works at the hospital, by the way, who is being accused and alleged to have sexually molested a young child, young being under the age of 10, on multiple occasions. So, um, Salvin is actually due in court today. Yes, he is, folks. So, he has, uh, let me tell you what the charges are. It is seven assault charges. Hold on one second. Today is the fifth. Let me just pull up my little list. And I can tell you. So, he's just there for a mention today. His name is Salvin Senyon Caballero. Indecent assault on a female. There's one, two, three, four, five, six of those, and one of gross indecency. So the interesting thing about this case is they have actually, um, I'm trying to remember if this is the one that they've locked a file. I think they may have locked a file on this one. I know they locked it on that other child molester, um, the one from 
cost you less. So these are allegations and obviously um, people are innocent until proven otherwise. However, you know, when you sit there and read the details of what is alleged, you understand that a seven-year-old child ain't going to be lying on this hard back man. And um, it's a disturbing case. The child is known to him. I don't want to say too much about her. Uh, some of you might be asking, well, what's the difference between gross indecency and um, indecent assault? Well, our legal definition says gross indecency is a crime in some parts of the English-speaking world originally used to criminalize sexual activity between men that fell short of sodomy, which required penetration. Um, obviously, it's not between men. It is, you know, I'm here with a child and it can be between any sexes. So um, we follow the UK law. So let's just say that that is the instance that probably brought this whole case to light because apparently this guy um, was getting bolder with this child as is most often the case. So he was really starting to progress the abuse. Um, it's disturbing, but it was basically escalating. That's what was happening, folks. He is a very sick person. When I was in court last time, they actually had a closed hearing with him. I don't know what was being discussed. It might have been, you know, something in relation to the trial. Um, but it was closed to the general public, so we could not go in. And can I tell you, good morning, Rita. Good morning, Leanne. Good morning, Miss Marjorie. Can I tell you that um, his wife and maybe her family members were, I think they're all from Honduras, but they were outside um, waiting until the hearing was over, very much supporting him. And uh, when I went there, I said, oh, is this the, because um, we didn't know it was a closed hearing. So I said, oh, is this the um, the Salvin case? And she was like, no. So she actually lied to me, not surprising, when you're married to somebody like this dude that you're lying to cover up. Um, and then I, I looked at her for a second, and I thought, mm, based on the look she just gave me, she's probably connected to him. And so I asked some other sources, and they confirmed that, yes, it was a closed. Um, well, they didn't tell us it was a closed hearing. I'd actually opened the door, and they're like, oh, no, it's a closed hearing. But yes, my dear, that is... Uh, that's the situation there. I'm always flabbergasted by wives who can support um, an individual who molests children in particular, but anyone who sexually molests anybody that you could sleep next to such a monster at night allegedly is very, very shocking to me. Um, so Tracy says uh, with the second strain being spread that much quicker, it's important until um it's important until they know and understand more about this. Cayman should continue their due diligence and ensure the country's safety by being cautious about opening their borders for sure. And in fact, um, Tracy, there are three strains that we know about and one out of Africa appears to be more deadly. So the one out of the UK, which is already in Jamaica, it's already in Miami. Chances are it's already in the Cayman Islands. That one isn't necessarily from what they know thus far, because it's been around since September. 
That one isn't any deadlier. It just spreads a lot faster, anywhere from 50 to 70% faster. And so, um, of course, in a way, a quicker spread does kind of mean that it's going to be deadlier in the end, right? Good morning to beautiful Joy joining us in Texas. So Howard says, what about the guy who broke quarantine twice? Max still free. Everybody getting off. Well, Howard, trust me. Um, not everyone is getting off. Uh, yes, Mac is technically um, still free, but he was sentenced to jail, although it's a suspended sentence. So he didn't get off scot-free. He has a criminal record, which I'm sure at the age of 65 or however old he is, is not something that he probably ever wanted. But there you have it. So he's not getting away scot-free. And um, it's very possible, Howard, that the voters in the beautiful district of West Bay Central may yet, no, he's in West Bay East. I got to get my list of candidates and where they're at. Wherever he's at in West Bay, it is very, very possible that they may yet hold him accountable. We'll see come May the 26th. So don't think he got away scot-free yet. And then in terms of the quarantine young man, um, Mr., uh, what's his name again? Um, Aaron Montemayor. We have requested an update on that situation, and we have not yet received it. Um, and so we will um, continue to follow up on that with a view to getting that information, you know, as soon as possible. So stay tuned, Howard. Um, so new face, Miss Marjorie is joining us. You guys can find us here every morning from 7.30 until 9.30. And Dean... So Sandy, I wish they'd give me the job to deal with him, Salvin, um, out there stoning dogs like rock stones and you got to do that to a child, Cayman Islands government on a need to wake up and start protecting your children. They're a future. I hate to read and hear things like this. Yes, there's a lot that could be done in terms of legislation when it comes to protecting your children. And I'm afraid that our legislators are asleep at the wheel, but we're going to be talking about them here in a second. One thing they don't forget to do is give themselves money and pay themselves. So let us let us jump into this conversation. We do have a guest who's joining us at nine o'clock, and I want you guys to stay tuned for that. Um, Jess says, is he still working? It's a good question, Jess. It's a very good question, and I don't know the answer to that. Mm. I will certainly inquire. Um, Donovan says, yes, they're dealing with the situation in New York. Good morning to the beautiful Irvelyn. El Ray says the African strain is more transmissible, not aware of it being more deadly. Well, there was something, let's leave that conversation till tomorrow. Cause I do want to do a little bit more research on it, but there was something I read about it being, um, all of them are more transmissible. That's the scary thing about them, but there was something that distinguished the African strain. And I'm thinking it was something to do with, um, its impact, but I could, I could be wrong. So I will verify that. Yes. South Marjorie, more than one stream out there. And there is an African one. All right. Let's talk about the LA. Cause I got all my documents here ready and I want to have this discussion with you guys. So um, let's start with where we are right now. The starting point. Okay. So we had to ask a few questions in relation to what benefit do members of the Legislative Assembly currently get? Then after we talk about what they currently get, I've got my email answers here. Again, we go to the official sources and we ask the question. If they answer us, perfect. If they don't answer us, then obviously it leaves us 
uh, floundering and flapping her wings and speculating. So in this case, cabinet secretary and his office, Mr. Samuel Rose, um, has provided us with some very useful information. So essentially what happened was um, the last election when there were some changes in reference to, uh, you know, they went from multi-member constituencies to single-member constituencies. Who handled the um, constituency allowances, which allows an MLA or now an MP to have an office and to run that office? That was handled differently. And then it changed in 2017. So let's talk about that first so that we can have a basis for this conversation and we can understand, you know, what the benefits are that um, they actually get. And then we can uh, take it from there. Yes. Okay. So um, here we go, folks. Um, currently, the LA members get a stipend, and they always have. This this is nothing new. Um, you know, as far as I know, this this has always been in place. I don't know. I don't know exactly when it would have um, officially gone into place, but it's been there for donkey years. So the basic situation is MLAs get their salary and they also get thousands of dollars to maintain an office for the benefit of the people of this country. So what do we mean um, when we talk about them getting a constituency allowance? What is that for? Well, the idea is that they should have an office as a representative of the people so that you can have an official source of getting in contact with them. You should not have to be going to their homes in order to reach an MLA or an MP now. And this is something that I've always found really, really peculiar um, about, you know, why individuals have felt like they needed to show up at the doorsteps of a Makiva Bush, for example, or Alden McLaughlin or whatever. It isn't supposed to be that way. We're supposed to have some level of professionalism. But of course, I think what you find actually happening is a lot of these MPs are not maintaining a professional office. Shocker, but true. So um, I must say that I have always thought, even when I ran for political office eons ago, I have always thought, folks, this is a job. You are elected to public office. That's the hiring process. And you are hired to do a job on behalf of the people. Every four years, they have the option of firing you and people think we should have the option in between, but nonetheless, every four years, they have the option of firing you, a.k.a. not re-electing you to public office if they feel like you have not performed to standard. Now, obviously, the standards here in the Cayman Islands are very, very low. As Howard said earlier, we have members of the L.A. who can beat the shit out of women, and it's okay. They remain in public office. They remain a Speaker of the House, and we don't seem to care. The interesting thing um, about this is just the other day I was talking, I think it was last week, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, remember we were having a discussion um, about, um, you know, these representatives who are out there 
um, having all sorts of salacious affairs and doing the most when it comes to that sort of thing. And afterwards, I was talking to someone who is um, a former representative, and they said to me, you know what, Sandy, the truth is the people don't care. They don't care about this sort of stuff. In fact, maybe it's a feather in these men's cap for them to be out there having affairs and having, you know, five Spanish women, five Jamaican women, three Filipino women, two Caymanian women, a whole concubine on the side, because that makes them the man. And I thought about it for a minute. And I said, there is some truth to that because we have seen where the public knows what these guys are up to and we just don't care, right? Oh yes, well, they're known to beat women. Oh, they're known to have affairs. They're known to do this. There seems to be a level of acceptance that quite frankly is unacceptable. But that's a whole other conversation. However, let's focus now on the questions that we have before us. And again, big shout out to Mr. Samuel Rose, who's cabinet secretary. So over the years, we've had a number of constitutional changes that have created positions. Um, cabinet secretary is a relatively new position. Um, I think of maybe five or seven years or something. And Mr. Samuel Rose um, has now sat in that position. He's been the first one and he's still in the job, right? And there are other things um, that fall under his remit. But at the moment, until this um, Legislative Assembly Law 2020 comes into full force, he is still responsible for this component of things. So um, <laughs> Curtis, don't make me laugh. Curtis says you have 100. Actually, we have 133 people watching right now. It just went up to 135. It does fluctuate. Um, yesterday we had over 200 people and Curtis says you have all these people watching and, um, maybe you should get Woody on your show. Well, Curtis, from your mouth to the mouth, to the ears of Woody, uh, we did invite him on the program. In fact, on yesterday's show, but I suspect that Woody might be still processing what has happened to him. So in other words, he needs a minute. Uh, to do what he needs to do. So nonetheless, we will continue. So here we are, folks. Um, and again, Woody, the invitation is there. Come on the program. I don't know what's in his contract. He may not be able to speak the truth anymore, depending on what he signed for that severance pay. Um, but you guys know how that works. So Holly says standards for elected officials are questionable in many countries. KY is not the worst. It's not the worst, Holly but we don't actually have any standards in writing anyway. Most countries have um, like a written standard of ethics and behavior and blah, blah, blah. Our legislators have not found the time, my dear Holly, to bother to pass that legislation because they're too busy doing other things like the legal services bill, which will undermine and cut off attorneys in this country, came and in attorneys at the knees. They're more interested in passing that than passing legislation and standards and ethics to, you know, guard and patrol their own behavior. Isn't that amazing? They're worried about everything else, but their own behavior. Because uh, they're saying that not having a legal services bill um, will have an impact on our financial services and, you know, all this anti-money laundering and we could get blacklisted and blah, blah, blah. Yes, my dear Holly, wow is right. 
but yet they're not concerned about how their behavior negatively reflects on this country and how having a convicted Speaker of the House has made us look like donkeys of the century. Where's my donkey button? Yes, my dear Holly, that about sums it up. So based on questions, Mr. Samuel Rose has reminded us of the following. Every MP or MLA, because remember this whole thing with MP, mm, that word right there, Holly, um, gets an allowance for a constituency office. All right. Mm -hmm. So the constituency office allowance called a COA is intended to assist MPs in defraying the cost incurred in operating an office if they operated one which a lot of you don't, MPs. It is not extended um, that this allowance, not extended, it was not intended, my apologies. It is not intended that this allowance will meet the actual cost of providing such a venue. Mm -hmm. Given that the actual cost of each element varies relative to the provision, the MP will bear the difference or benefit accordingly. So in other words, what all that um, fancy schmancy means is that they're gonna give you a monthly allowance and you can spend less than that or you can spend more than that. That would be on you as MP to budget accordingly. It could be that the cost, um, the constituency office allowance, depending on where you're at and what accommodations you could find is simply not going to be enough. Um, and in other cases, it could be more than enough. I think I think it's enough. So let's let's talk about what it is. Um, Happy New Year to Miss Charlene. Thank you so much for tuning in. So um, there are two components to the COA, namely operating expenses, that's rent, utilities, supplies, maintenance, and number two, administrative support. So what they used to do before is they would give them one amount and that amount was to cover both of these things. Now, when they switched over in 2017, to single member constituencies, it changed. And I want you to pay attention to how it changed. So the current maximum allowance is $4,000 per month for a dedicated constituency office. Okay, so they get $4,000 a month. Now what they used to do, and we're gonna continue reading his responses here, but what they used to do is they would give the MPs, the MLAs, the $4,000 per month, and then they did whatever. So they would set up an office, they'd pay their staff, what you found, a couple of things would happen. Number one, a lot of them do nothing. They don't set up an office or anything. So they just pocket that $4,000. Did you guys hear what I said? Or number two, they were consolidating their offices and thereby saving money, arguably. And so the question then becomes, well, if Barbara Connolly, by example, and David White share an office, which they do um, in Georgetown, right at the four-way stop, um, the hospital four-way stop, and they both get, do they both get $4,000? Because surely it doesn't take $8,000 to run an office, a shared office. Rent, not that crazy yet. And then you've got administrative support. So let's continue talking about it. So... The next question we said is, is that money paid directly to the third party vendor or the MP? Because we know it used to be paid to the MP, right? So now the response is the first component of this constituency allowance operating expenses 
is paid directly to the MP. So the MP still gets direct payment for his operating, his or her operating expenses, which include rent, utility, supplies, and maintenance. Now, this is where it changed because that used to be it. They would get the direct payment and they would then, you know, hire staff, pay staff, whatever. As of the last election, um, the cabinet office took this under their remit, whereby now they are essentially the administrative staff are quasi-civil servants in the sense that they will be working um, and getting their pay and their benefits from the coffers of the civil service. So this is what he goes on to now explain in the following manner. Um, right. So he says that um, the process for appointing constituency office admin assistants, so this is what they're now called, COAA, was regularized following the 2017 general election. And I know this because I actually spoke to Mr. Sam Rose after the 2017 election. I had some questions then. He explained that this was this new process. So he's simply confirming when an MP indicates that they've identified an individual. So the MP, for clarity, gets to choose who is going to be their assistant in their office. And that makes logical sense because you're gonna have constituencies sensitive information, uh, constituencies coming in who might be sharing all sorts of things and they need help and blah, blah, blah. So you would want someone working with the MP that they probably know that they can trust, that they feel is competent and could do a good job. In most instances, um, thank you so much, Nicole. Um, yes, thank you, my dear. In most instances, I got to tell you, it is a lot of times a political favor. Somebody's unemployed, they're unemployable, whatever. The MP says, oh, yes, having this person hired as my um, constituency office administrative assistant, what a mouthful, is going to help me politically. Mm -hmm. So that's how that process works. Take, for example, John John. John John has Miss Chin. I forget what her um, her full name is. Um, um, but she's a lady who was in court for all of the pension related issues. So she literally owes like over a hundred thousand working with an MLA who ironically enough, doesn't believe in paying his pension. So hmm, they have something in common. Anywho, um, Donovan would know all about that. Poor Donovan's still waiting on his pension money. What a hot mess. So right. So these um, COAAs are chosen by the MLAs. And um, then as of 2017, once they decide who they're going to pay, and I know some of them even pick family members, the constituency um, administrative assistant enters into a fixed-term contract of employment agreement with the appointing officer of the administrating entity on behalf of the government of the Cayman Islands. So now he's saying formally the cabinet office, 
But as of the 1st of January, 2020, it's now gonna be the Parliament Management Council. So this is where the legislative changes that we're gonna talk about here in a second have now come into effect, this legislative assembly law. So um, Mr. Sam has confirmed that the law is in place as of January of this year. So previously it was his responsibility. They provided them with a fixed term employment agreement. So um, for four years, you're gonna be <clears throat> the COAA for Dwayne Seymour, Alden McLaughlin, whatever. And then you would get <clears throat> the respective salary. You would get um, health and pension paid through government. Now this has changed. And we'll, like I said, discuss the changes in a second. Um, it goes on to say each MP is a um, co-signer to the employment agreement along with the responsible chief officer and the COA. So the MP signs it. It's an employment contract. No worries. Then we said, what are the benefit and salaries for these individuals? So we confirmed, or Mr. Sam confirmed, that the remuneration for the COAA is based off of grade M of the civil service scale. So the range for grade M is currently between $43,812 to $58,910. So almost $60,000 per year, which is close to five grand a month. And um, any mathematicians in the group? Somebody do the math for me um, while I'm still talking here. So 43,812 uh, 43, divided by 12. So that's $3,651 per month. And then it goes up to 589,110 divided by 12. $4,909. So that's the salary range per month, not too shabby. Additionally, um, COAs receive an annual leave entitlement of 18 working days. If eligible, employer and employee pension contribution as specified in the Public Service Management Act 2018 revision, personnel regulations, and medical, dental, and optical benefits as specified in the Public Service Management Act. So in other words, like I said, they're kind of treated as civil servants. So they get a contract, it's a fixed term contract for the four years, because there's no guarantee that an uh, uh, LA will be, or MP, my apologies, will be elected for a second term. And then they um, take it from there. Um, so uh, there you have it. Let me just... Um, so they get a salary, they get, um, you know, their benefits to go along with the salary and everybody's good. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then we were asking about the contract term in terms of the election, like how does that work? So he reminded us that the length of term of an employment contract for COAA cannot surpass the day after the polling date and the next general election cannot surpass the day after the polling date. Okay. To be clear, this is the latest date anyone can remain as a COOA. So the date after the polling date, so polling day would be May the 26th, right? That's when we go to the polls. 
And so it seems like their contract ends that day. It's interesting that that would be the case because the MPs themselves um, stop being MPs and they kind of stop working after parliament is dissolved. And that is done in advance of polling day by several months. And then that is why they're able to go out there and freely campaign. And that's where we're going to talk about this severance situation here in a second, because this becomes a little bit confusing. Good morning, Miss Beulah. Thank you for tuning in. I hope I'm explaining this properly. I know it gets a little bit complicated. Um, so, right. So we got that. So the, the assistance, the admin assistance, they stay in office until the May the 27th or May the 26th, um, no later than that day, right? So MPs start, MPs stop receiving their office stipend um, the day after a general election in the event that they're not reelected. Hmm. So that time when they are campaigning, Remember now there's going to be a couple months. They dissolve parliament officially. Then they start campaigning for a good three months. They are still receiving a constituency office allowance. Maybe that is why during that same period, now that they're going to be passing this legislation, this new, or they've already passed it. It's now enforced the legislative assembly bill they believe that they are also entitled to continue receiving a salary. It makes sense why they think that. But in my mind, how is it possible for you to be, you're not technically fired yet because the election hasn't happened, but you're also not working. You're out there campaigning, trying to get back in. And you're going to be paid during that time period. But now I see why they think that that should be happening. Because their office assistants are getting paid up to election day. They're getting their allowance. And so in their mind, everything remains as normal. I find it very unusual, though, because if you're not an MP like legally during that time, how does, how does that work? How do you justify still getting a salary? So here's what's coming down the pipeline, not what's coming. Here's what it is now. So dating back, and I think a lot of us missed this discussion over the COVID period, the legislative assembly bill was expected to pass. This is reading some past articles. Um, this was in October. And um, they said that after some 60 years, they were finally formalizing a fundamental part of Cayman's democracy, which is a separation of the political house with the administrative arm of government and the governor. So Premier Alda McLaughlin said it will end the lip service paid to the LA's autonomy and legitimize it. So this bill is really um, setting the LA, which is now um, parliament, which is weird that they just didn't wait and name it the parliament bill because they knew that they were going to be doing that change the following month anyway. I, I, I can't explain it. Um, so he was going to be amending this bill 
following a number of compelling arguments made by members during the debate. So the compelling arguments related to how the salaries of members are calculated, how the management commission will work, and the need to protect the current rights of the staff of the LA as it transitions from the civil service into an independent authority. So what is gonna ha happen now is there will be a commission set up, and we're gonna talk about this here in a second, um, that will, um, there's gonna be a commission set up that will actually run the LA, so to speak. And we're gonna talk about some of the details of that. So the legislation will put the management and budget of parliament into the hands of the speaker <coughs> and the clerk and away from the executive branch of government. By the way, as an example of how this would work, right? Um, when they had the changeover the other day from legislative assembly to parliament, that money came from Gloria Nixon's budget. And Gloria Nixon, as you guys know, is the chief officer for Pox Public, um, what's it called? Um, whatever, civil servant, whatever. Let me, let me not. Let me not just tell you whatever. Let me tell you what POX actually stands for. Um, I always forget this. Hold on. It's like the arm that does all the benefits and whatever. Portfolio of the civil service. My apologies. POX. Per portfolio of the civil service. Thank you very, very much. Um, so it came from her budget to do this high fluting event that they had the other day. All right. So now all of that would change. Parliament would get its own budget. It would have a committee, which according to this is going to be led by, and the budget will be handled by the Speaker of the House and the Clerk of the Court. Now, isn't this interesting? Because this means that the Speaker of the House is going to have a lot of responsibility. And they are someone who I would hope going forward would be someone who's fiscally prudent, who understands how to handle a budget and so forth which not all elected members of the LA of the of parliament are. So this is gonna be very, very interesting. It seems to me that we've just elevated the Speaker of the House and what qualifications they should be bringing to the table. Um, so it says here that under the previous arrangement, administrative responsibility for the elected arm of government, and this is what uh, McLaughlin said at the time, was in the hands of a non-elected senior civil servant, Gloria and, and Mr. Um, Gloria McField Nixon and Sam Rose, cabinet secretary. And by extension, ultimately in the hands of the governor who has responsibility for the civil service. Okay. Um, he explained that the law addressed the fundamental issues of separating the house and making it entirely independent. And folks, there's a whole lot of um, what Mr. Um, Premier had to say. Now I'm gonna show you guys this on my screen. Um, okay, here we go. So this, if you go to the office of the Premier, there is an area called announcements. And I know this is a little bit hard to see. Um, let me see if I can increase this any. 
and it's a little bit better, right? If I increase, it's like 200%. You can see it a little bit better. Okay. So this is um, what is on their website. This was updated October the 16th at 12.46 p.m. And this was his contribution uh, to the discussions on this. And this is his entire speech. So folks, um, this is where you got to pay attention. So Atlas, we talked about that earlier in the program. Um, so yes, this is the premier speech on this. And he says, Mr. Speaker, I rise to introduce the Legislative Assembly Management Bill 2020. It is now the law, folks. It has been passed. And he goes on to say, a bill for a law to provide for the independent management of the administrative functions of the Legislative Assembly and for incidental and connected purposes. Now, again, I don't know why they didn't just wait until it was Parliament. I mean, they knew it was coming, that it'd be parliament, but whatever. I guess he wanted to push this through um, before he got elected. So Sue says, no wonder why they all want to be MPs. Lots more money to line their pockets uh, while there are people struggling. Well, yes, Sue, and let's not forget that they make an average of at least $8,000 per month. And then it goes up from there. And then they get expenses paid as well. So good morning, Gina. Good morning, Louie. Thank you for tuning in. And good morning to Atlas, tuned in from the UK. So yes, and he goes on to talk about when he moved the motion back in um, October the 15th of 2015 to um, have the responsibility for the administration of the LA to be assigned to the House, the Honorable Speaker, and managed by the clerk of the court. And that was necessary, he says, to affect um, this transfer responsibility to be completed by June the 30th of 2016 by the parties concerned. Then he goes on to say that we did not meet that date. Well, damn, you missed it by quite a few years there. Um, and so in fact, it has now been five years and I'm certainly glad to be here today to present this bill for it to become law. Uh, he goes on and on and on and on. One thing about politicians, it's a good thing that they do not get paid by the number of words, because they're, they're so full of it, um, full of words, that is, maybe some of other things as well, but I'm referring to words here, that um, they just go on and on and on. Uh-huh. So he gives us the history, which is good, um, about the presiding officer of the assembly and blah, blah, blah. Assemblyman Panton, that would have been Wayne Panton at the time. No. Oh, that's Ormond Panton. My apologies. Um, so he talks about, you know, the executive officially recognized in 1954. And he goes on and on and on and on and on. And you get the picture. All right. Good morning, Karen. So anywho, all of this to say that this is what um, will now be happening. There's going to be um, this parliamentary service authority law. Okay. And a subcommittee was selected. And then he talks about who those members are. 
and a draft bill was prepared, blah, blah, blah. He goes on and on and on. 2018 work resumed by the technical advisors of the subcommittee. Wonderful. Blah, blah, blah. Now it has led to the Legislative Assembly Management Bill 2020, which, like I said, has been passed and it's now law. So this is what is the important stuff for our purposes. The functions of the commission will be to carry out budgetary, financial, and operational matters for the LA. Um, establish the executive management and administrative structure of the commission. Prepare regular budgets and reports. This is interesting. And in fact, what's even more interesting um, is the fact that, uh, you know, we have the speaker who in this last session was refusing to um, table a report by the Public Accounts Committee. Do you guys remember that? CMR were the only ones who um, CMR were the only ones who actually reported at the time that why that bill was refused or why that report, my apologies, was refused to be tabled was because um, the speaker knew that in that report there was a recommendation to have Linford Pearson removed as chairperson of Offreg. So apparently he's of the opinion that he needs to read a PAC report, which has already been vetted, and by extension um, approved to move to be tabled by several different committees, including one on which the premier sits on. And yet the Speaker of the House stopped that process, folks. So now I'm concerned here because I'm thinking if he's going to get more responsibility preparing regular budgets and reports, administrative uh, management, structure the commission, all this sort of thing, um, Who's to say that he's going to have a real understanding of this role and be able to carry it out properly if he is elected as Speaker of the House again? My point is, we better start electing some MLAs with a little bit of sense and education, business acumen, as well as when they choose and appoint Speaker of the House, let's hope to God it's the right person, right? Because we don't get to choose who the Speaker of the House is going to be. So um, the commission is going to provide advice and parliamentary procedure. That's interesting. Provide accurate reports of proceedings and meetings. Provide library and research facilities. So if you want to go and, you know, research the Hansards, what was said on a particular day, et cetera, et cetera. All of that information um, would be there. Um. We have, um, let me just see here. Okay, so they will um, provide security services within the LA, sell laws and earn revenue. Are they still selling laws? Is that a thing? Huh. 
it's a little peculiar as to why they would be because you can literally get all the laws online for free. So who's going to go and purchase a law? I don't know. That's a good, interesting point. Um, well, you can still buy them, I guess, if you need a hard copy. Maintain the Legislative Assembly building. The Management Commission will establish a council comprising the following people. The Speaker, who will serve as the chairperson, the Premier, and the Leader of the Opposition. All right. That makes good sense. And then members of the LA appointed in writing uh, by the speaker acting in accordance with the advice of the premier. One member of the LA appointed in writing by the speaker acting in accordance with the advice of the leader of the opposition. So in other words, the speaker, um, three members of the LA are appointed by the speaker, but it comes from the premier basically, you know, putting them forward. The um, opposition gets one member and then the clerk of the legislative assembly who will serve as the council secretary and be an ex officio non-voting member. All right, so he still goes on to talk about a number of different things. Now, why do we care about um, all of this? Well, let us have a look, folks at what we know has transpired now that the bill has been passed. And we've got a copy here of the bill, the Legislative Assembly Management Bill. So give me one second. I'm going to do my best to um, pull that up so that I want you guys again to come along with me on this journey. So it's called the legislative, I have a hard copy here. It's called the Legislative Assembly Management Law. So now all of this has come to fruition and it is a law, although it's no longer a legislative assembly. Management Law 2020, okay. And here it is. Again, all laws, folks, are available online for your perusal. Educate yourself, good folks. Get your copy. There's no reason why anyone in this country should not have access to laws because they are all online for everybody to see. So I'm just increasing the size here so you guys can see it a little bit better. So this is law number 48 of 2020. Um, Charlene, thank you so much for this comment. Miss Charlene says, um, oh, good morning, Curtis. Hail, hail up our people from the BRAC and Little Cayman. Of course, we represent all three islands and we love having people on here. Like Curtis, he has a, he always has meaningful comments to make. Sue says, and not a damn thing anybody can do about this. When they want a law passed, it gets passed. Um, no problem then. Well, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, Charlene agrees about the ability of such a person and the responsibility that they'd be taking on. And this is why Sue says we need to be careful who we vote for. Where is my bomb drop? Bomb drop. Where is it? Kaboom. Mic drop there, Sue. Thank you very much. Very valid point. So this is the Legislative Assembly Management Law, law number 40, 
8 of 2020, dated the 1st of December 2020. Um, the cabinet secretary has confirmed that as of the 1st of January, this law is in effect. So remember folks, the first section of all laws is how the law is arranged. So arrangement of the sections, you know, part one, you have a short definition, interpretation, part, my apologies, part two talks about this legislative assembly um, management commission, which we were just talking about. Number three talks about financial matters. Part four, general. So if there's like a grievance uh, procedure, appeal to the civil service appeals commission by staff, right of appeal by the chief officer. And then there's a couple schedules attached to the legislation. So let us talk about um, some of the stuff now that is in this. So lots of details, folks, it's only a 22 page document. So as laws go, it is not a particularly large piece of legislation. There are some pieces of legislation that are hundreds of pages, this ain't it. So familiarize yourself with this legislative assembly management law. Um, like I said, part one is just your short title and definition. It gives you, you know, what's the chairperson, chief officer, what does that mean? Uh, who's the clerk? What does commission mean? And so on. Then you go into the Legislative Assembly Management Commission. So again, remember we talked about who's going to comprise the commission, what the general functions of the commission are. We just talked about those. So we have an understanding. The council of the commission. So there's going to be a council of the commission, uh, which shall be responsible for carrying out the general functions of the commission. Remember, we just talked about this in the proposal in the bill, and now we see it. The council will comprise the speaker, the premier, the leader of the opposition, and the deputy speaker. Then we've got the three members, which basically the premier puts forward. And then we've got two members from the opposition. That's interesting because I'm pretty sure I just read that they were proposing one member. So it looks like a little bit of negotiation went on there and um, the opposition got two members and then the clerk of the court, which is an ex officio non-voting member. All right, so that's gonna be the counsel for this commission. All good, chief officer has a role to play. So the clerk will be the chief officer of the commission and shall be an employee of the commission. And so they talk about that. So what they're going to have to do right now, you know, the Legislative Assembly has existing staff. So they're going to have to um, absorb that staff into this new structure. So I'm assuming that those people will have to apply. I don't know if they will be externally advertising those jobs or if it's just a formality to have them reapply for this new position and then change their contracts but I'm sure there'll be some changes in reference to that because they're working for a whole new entity, right? Um, vacation of office by the member, you know, um, if the member resigns his or her office as speaker, um, premier or leader of the opposition, resigns as a member of the LA or is disqualified as a member of the LA pursuant to section 62 of the constitution. So this talks about how, um, a member could potentially vacate their um, position on the council. Interesting in light of the fact that people in this country have been demanding 
that the premier does something about the current Speaker of the House, Mr. McKeever Bush. We see that there's so much power here, folks, that people are um, involved in, in terms of, you know, the different positions and roles that they serve. Not just LA, not just MPs, my apology, representing the people, but they have a management role, folks, in different aspects of the legislative assembly. Um, someone is saying that they're trying to watch this show, but they're getting an error message. I'll send them this link. Uh, I think they're trying to watch it from the website, so I'm not quite sure what's going on there. I'll have a quick look. But once it's up, they should be able to should be able to see it. Um, so let me just see here. Um, conflicts and pecuniary interests of members. Um, so obviously, you know, uh, they have to be mindful of that. Any proposed contracts, licenses, et cetera. Um, they should probably recuse themselves, disclose the facts, not take part in the consideration, blah, blah, blah. So that's all good stuff. Um, removal of, um, let me see here. Removal of or exclusion of disability, that's fine. And we're, we're, we're eventually getting to the part that we are most concerned about, trust me, we're getting there. Power to appoint staff, so the chief officer has the power to appoint staff, blah, 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 fine and dandy. Um, structure of the commission, financial matters. Mm -hmm. Chief officer and accounts, no problem. Fees paid into the general revenue, accounts and audits, uh-huh. Expenses. Um, let me see here. Uh, transition of public officers to staff. I think that's how this is going to now be handled. All right, let me see. Where's the section that I'm... Give me one second here. Let me, let me just... Um, it's so easy to miss that in my rereading of this, I have somehow managed to miss it. So give me one second here. Because what they have essentially done, here we go, the very last little bit in the schedule. Yes. So this is why I don't think you're done at the law. You've got to read the schedule. So here I was thinking, oh, yeah, we're done. But I know I missed it. It's snuck in to the schedule of the law. Schedule one, salaries, allowances, and other benefits of members of the cabinet and elected members of the LA. So the premier starts at grade A5, no rules. Deputy premier, A3, no rules. The speaker is at B4, earns one increment for every four-year term completed as speaker. So in other words, if McKeever Bush gets elected and appointed again as speaker, he's going to get a pay increase. Ministers are at B1, earns at B1, and then one increase of one increment for each four-year term completed as a minister. 
In addition, at the discretion of the premier, may earn additional increments on grade B. So the premier can decide um, essentially to give his members, his ministers um, pay increases. Now give me one second here, folks, because I want to see if I can find the pay grade. I remember years ago I used to have this. Um, it should be a publicly available document. So let me try to find it so that we know what we're talking about here in terms of the pay grade. So this is a publication. Um, let me just back up here. And I think it is available right here. So just give me one second. Um, travel expenses. Where is the pay grade? Salary scales as of the 1st of July, 2015. I believe that this would be the most current pay scale. Yes. Now, I would stand to be corrected on this, folks. If I'm wrong, you'll have to forgive me. But just a quick search um, online has produced this document. So I want to make sure um, you guys understand that it's possible that this could be outdated. But it says effective July of 2015. I kind of feel like there probably hasn't been any changes since then. Because remember, according to government, there was a hiring freeze um, going on as well. Okay. So, um, here we go. So what did we just say? Let's go back here. Premier is at A5. A5, he is making the top salary available anywhere in the scale. So that is $183,696. Let us do the math, good folks. Let me move my calculator over. 183,696 divided by 12. He makes $15,308 per month. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, the speaker, um, let's see, where's the deputy premier? Deputy premier is A3, so he's two little bars down. He's making 174864 174864 His monthly salary is $14,572. The speaker is on B4, so B4 is 170, um, 580. The speaker makes $14,212 per month. Ministers are on B1, so B1. And so you see the ministers can go up to point six, so they can go up to B6. So they start out making ministers B1, 158, 400, 
$13,200. So we got that, folks. The premier makes $15,308. The deputy premier makes $14,572. And the speaker makes $14,215. And then the um, ministers are making $13,200. So this is why I want to remind you all um, that I was not, you know, entirely. Oh, sorry. Give me one second. I realize that you can actually see, you can actually see that portion of my screen. I'm just saving this for my future reference because I would like to be able to bring it up like this. So during the pandemic, when we're patting these guys on the back and we're saying, oh, good job, you're so fantastic. Oh my gosh, somebody made the Minister of Health cry because they say that he should be qualified. And boo-hoo-hoo, you know, for him. And I say, people, please, pull up your big girl panties, stop your fake crocodile tears, and tell me if you're making $13,200 a month plus, because we know there's probably all kind of kickbacks along the way. Why should you not be doing a fantastic job during a pandemic? You kind of get paid for situations like this. Why are we rewarding you above and beyond? Only God knows. The truth of the matter is, right? The people of this country should be expecting more of their elected officials based on this type of a salary that they're being compensated at the expense of the people of this country. There are people who run large corporations who are not making that kind of money, folks. And you better believe if they're slipping up, if they are screwing up, they get fired. Simple. So now snuck into the schedule of this Legislative Assembly bill. Thank you, Mr. Premier, for this. Because there was always some dispute and question as to, um, you know, how uh, members of the LA were being paid and what sort of money they're making, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it's kind of good to now get some definitive, although it does say here that there's a discretionary power on behalf of the premier to give his ministers an increase. And I guess we would not really know uh, when that's happening, but at least we have a good baseline salary to know that John John is making 13,000, what was it? $13,200 per month. And so um, we should not be hearing him crying about anything. Suck it up, buttercup. Okay. Leader of the opposition. Let's see where he's at. He's on C1. So C1 is 128,292. Still not too shabby. Deputy speaker is on D1. Deputy leader of the opposition is at D1. Increase earns an allowance of 2.5% of monthly salary 
for serving as deputy speaker. So this is where um, deputy speaker, sorry, and deputy leader of the opposition, in addition to their salaries, they also get 2.5% of their monthly salary. And I want to look at counselors because I think they get an additional allowance as well. So this is why people want to be deputy speaker. Why they want to be deputy leader of the opposition, they get a little bit extra. Okay, so D1, let's quickly do the math. Um, whoops, sorry, I didn't need to open up another calendar. So D1 is 109. 932 divided by 12. So they make $9,161 as, hold on now, deputy, leader, counselors, MLAs, MPs. This is the salary of your MPs, folks. Did you just hear what I said? Just in case you're missing this, because I know I'm kind of, let me just put this here. MPs earn... 9000 hold on, $161. Here I was thinking it was actually $8,000. So they're earning a little bit more than even I thought. $9,161. And then if you take 2.5% of that, that's another, yeah. It's not much, 200, is that right? $230 basically on top of um, their salary to do these other things. Now, a consular is a much more interesting position, parliamentary secretary. They will get their salary of D1 and they will also earn a duty allowance between $1,000 and $2,000 per month at the discretion of the premier but shall not earn more than a minister. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm not sure how they could be earning more than a minister, but we'd have to sit down and work that out. So the D1 scale, again, that is what the um, MLAs are making, $9,161. So they could make $10,161 or $11,161. How is that more than a minister when a minister is making $13,200? That doesn't even make any sense, but whatever. Okay, so that gives you a good baseline to understand the salaries. Now, let us continue because we have to go into schedule two to see what really go on here. Constituency allowance has been increased. Anybody listening to me? Okay, Mitchell. Thank you. Marshall. Thank you. Juanita. Thank you. Sue. Unbelievably crazy. Thank you. So we went... From, let me just find my email again, because I never want to misinform you guys on this program, okay? Folks, 
we went from a um, constituency allowance of $4,000. The current maximum allowance is $4,000 per month for a dedicated constituency office. Now, as of January, the constituency allowance is $5,000 per month per elected member of the Legislative Assembly. Anybody saw the increase sneaked in there of $1,000 per month? This email was received yesterday, January oops, the 4th, at 7.48 p.m. So the current position, according to the Cabinet Secretary, Mr. Samuel Rose, and I know Mr. Samuel does his homework and he's 100% spot on, he would know the current position, which he says will change as of this month, was $4,000 per month. This law has increased that allowance to now $5,000 per month for the constituency allowance. The premier shall receive an executive allowance of $5,000 per month. Um, is that on top of the constituency allowance? What's an executive allowance? Tracy, I'm glad I'm not the only person going WTH. In fact, I'm saying WTF. Hold on, hold on. Let's back up. Executive allowance. Hold on. Let me pull up that screen so you guys can see that one. Executive allowance for the premier is $5,000 per month. Now, this is where the definition section of any law becomes important. So let me just do a quick control find. Executive allowance. Um, where one of four matches. Let me see the others because uh-uh, 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 uh So executive allowance, executive allowance. Um... So nowhere else does it tell you what the executive allowance is? Say what? Uh, uh, it's not in the definition section? Um, okay. Let me just go back here, folks, because I wouldn't want to accuse them of being any more uh, corrupt than they are. So let me just see. Um, definition section, publishing date, blah, blah, blah. Okay, definition section, yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. Um, short title, commencement, yep. Um, executive, there is no definition for executive allowance. Hmm. So you guys help me figure this one out. Um, who wants to join in on the discussion here today? Can anybody help me figure out in your educated guess, and I'm thinking, it is an additional allowance, but you guys can let me know what you think. Do you believe, Tracy, I'm going to post a link right now for you to jump in on the conversation. Do you believe that this executive allowance is in addition to the constituency allowance? Well, I believe so. And here is my logic on this. Tracy, jump in and tell me why. Charlene, Holly, anybody else wants to jump in? Linda? It wouldn't be mentioned separately if it wasn't an additional amount, first of all. So there would be no need to separate and say, oh, there's a constituency allowance 
which is for all MPs, that's what it said, right? Per month, per elected official. And then separately and apart from that, it says the premier receives an executive allowance of $5,000 per month. So that means he's going to get $10,000. And I don't know what the executive allowance is for, because to be quite frank, it's not even in the definition section. So who knows? And um, in addition to that, the leader of the opposition gets an executive allowance of $3,500. Cayman Brack representatives. It says there are two components to their allowance. So is this again separate from the initial 5,000? So they get 5,000 per month. And they also get accommodation of 2,500 and transportation of 2,500. Um, somebody put a stop in all of this and try to let me try to process this in my little pea brain because folks, I ain't quite understanding what is going on here. Skylar Max Granny needs to explain this to me. Do MLAs not get to travel? on the national airline for free in any event. So what is the accommodation and transportation allowance for exactly? Holly, can you figure this out? Mitchell Ebanks, please tell me that you are smarter than me. What do you need? What kind of transportation? Like, if you come for the month to rent a car, what transportation are we talking about? So not only do they get these highfalutin salaries, $13,200 as ministers for the BRAC, they're going to get their $5,000 allowance. It looks like they're potentially getting another $5,000 allowance. We're going to ask the questions because... I need some answers. And then on top of that, they get an accommodation allowance. You guys see it here. And a transportation allowance. Huh. Um, Cayman Airways. They all get to travel, to the best of my knowledge, on Cayman Airways for free. When they come to the Cayman Islands to visit from the BRAC or the sister islands, where exactly do they stay? Most of them have homes here, whether it's a little condo, a house, whatever. So if they own their own accommodations, what do they need $2,500 for? It's not like they're going to be staying in a hotel. Hmm. Wow. Let's move on because like I said, I'm, I'm woefully confused. Janet says this is ridiculous. Tracy, again, click on that link and you can join in on the conversation. Says all of the countries that their legislative leaders take a pay cut 
and gave back to those less fortunate when the local government didn't feel it was necessary, you got that right, and that they were working harder than they ever had before and felt that they were entitled. Well, what is amazing, right, to me is not only did they say that, that, no, we're working super hard right now, so we should not take a pay cut, <laughs> but on top of that, folks, these jokers, many of them are working for the first time ever. And still, let me be very clear. We sat through painful at times um, meetings, uh, press conferences, listening to their shenanigans, their donkey tales of Mary and Joseph and a parable that confused the people. We sat through them praying and butchering different languages around the world. And then we see this. And my head just went, where's my kaboom? Like seriously. Each member of the legislative assembly, so let's go back to this who does not stand for re-election or having stood for re-election is not elected at the next election shall be entitled to a severance payment equal to three months of salary paid to that member under schedule one as of the date of that election and the payment does not include any student's allowances under one. Well, I would hope not because you're not even an elected member anymore. So, let me process this. Celicia, please help me out here. If you are fired from your job because the people do not elect you again as a member of the um, parliament, according to this, and this is something new now, you will now be entitled to continue receiving a salary on the backbone of the hardworking people of this country for three months. Everybody heard me in the back? Three months, folks. Celicia says with all the allowances, they barely need a salary. And Celicia says, remember, because they quote unquote bleed too, except they didn't get a scratch in all of this. Celicia, not only... Tracy, um, it should be in the comment section. Let me let me put let me paste it again. Not only did they not get a scratch in all of this, Celicia, but they are getting an increase when the government is hemorrhaging because of the COVID situation. They are actually getting an increase. Whoa, what on earth? Yes. They are, folks, getting an increase. Tracy, I've sent it to you in your DMs as well, just in case. But this is absolutely shocking. Yes, and they do get pensions, uh, pension as well, which equates to, I think after two terms, it equates to some percentage of their salary or something, something, something. And in fact, some members of the um, parliament 
some of the older members, such as Mr. Bush, who've been there a number of years, such as Mr. Um, Anthony, they're double dipping in the pension system because that's what the law permitted them to do at the time. So, of course, they're going to take full advantage of it. Woo! Charlene says, high falluting benefits and too consistently giving away concessions already to millionaires and their own people suffering. Ain't that a... Sure is. Anne says, grossly overpaid. And I want to remind you that some of these people that are making a base salary of $13,000 a month, plus a constituency salary, plus this allowance and that allowance, can barely string two sentences together. Um, Tracy, have you been able to find the link yet? It's showing up in the comment section. So they can barely string two sentences together, sound coherent, sound intelligent. They can barely represent the people of this country, of these three islands properly. They're ill-behaved. They go out there drinking, getting sloppy, beating at women, paying women. Last time I checked for sex, that's prostituting. So they're encouraging the breaching of our laws. They hang out in bars more than they do tending to the country's business. They hang out in bars more than they do dealing with their own family matters. And yet they're some of the best paid elected officials, I would dare say, in the entire world. Most certainly the Caribbean. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Of course they get health coverage. No doubt about that. Whoa. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay. Well, Kevin, are you ready? We do have a guest who's going to join us for a few minutes before we... Um, Have to end the show. I know poor Kevin had been waiting. Um, but th this was just such a shocking situation that I had to explain this. Uh, whew, I don't know what to say, folks. I am shocked, disappointed, flabbergasted, just like you are. And so when I say May the 26th, we better make some better decisions. Now you see why. This is just slid under, right? The last LA session. We can't slide in the legislation that's going to hold them accountable to any standards at all, but we can slide this in. Hashtag stay woke. Johan, where are you? Are you awake this morning? Johan, Alric, Kathy, all of the other people running for elected office. Where are you folks? Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Sandra. How are you? I'm beautiful. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for Thank you me. so much for joining the program this morning. 
So um, Kevin was recently featured on our website as a young man who is looking to further his education. So Kevin, first of all, I want to congratulate you on, um, you know, moving in that direction. Ooh, Tracy has just joined in. So Kevin, give me one second. Um, Tracy wants to wrap up the last discussion. Hey, Tracy, one second. Hold on. Kevin, I'm just going to pull you out of the studio for a quick second. Uh, Tracy, are you ready? On our website. There you are. Hey, Tracy. Good morning. How are you? I think you got a little bit of feedback, so you might have to I mute. Do. Yeah, mute listening to the show. And there hold, we go. On, hold on, Tracy. I got a special treat for you. Let me just find it. Because <laughs> as you guys know, it is 2021. And uh, we've got some new stuff going on. And one of the new things that we are working on is encouraging you guys to jump in on the discussion, just like Tracy. <laughs> uh, Tracy always looks beautiful, but you can choose to hide your <laughs> camera. If you, want. <laughs> you can choose to hide your camera, but Tracy, I want you to get ready to jiggy with me because this is okay. our song to encourage people to call into the program. Absolutely. Here, Here it is. Queuing up. There we go. <laughs> yes, Cole Hard Truth. Morning, Dad. <laughs> yes. Put yourself on the live broadcast like Tracy. <laughs> go, Tracy. Go, Tracy. <laughs> We're worldwide. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is your first time on the program. So, special welcome to you. First time Thank calling you. in, I should say. What do you make of all of this? I mean, you hear this this morning. I did my best to kind of break it down and have it make sense. It's like, Jesus, please make it make sense. What are your thoughts? There's just, there's so many things um, that are going on in politics right now, especially in Cayman. You know, this whole thing with Makiva, um, you know, it, it's, I just think that the Cayman people really have to take a step back and, um, realize that actually, you know what, they have the power. It's not, it's not, um, the government, the government feels that they're working, well, they're working more for themselves, that they, they should be working for the people and the people have to realize that they have the power and they need to take that power back. I mean, I, ha I hate to say it and, and it's totally true, but it, it's the old boys club. We, mm -hmm. we need, we need new blood. We need, you know, new vision, and we need people to actually understand that they have the voice, they have the power. I mean, we saw it with the port, and it was the first time ever that the Cayman people actually came together and the referendum was brought forward, and mm -hmm. that shows the power of the people. And, and you know, uh, it, it's the old boys' club, and, you know, they ha they're, they're not only government, but they're friends outside of government, and I think that unfortunately a lot of the decisions that are being made and we see even in terms of the law and justice is that they have dirt on each other and they're mm -hmm. protecting each other and you know it, it, it it's just that's that's the way that i see it now when it comes to these salaries it's just i'm flabbergasted i, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are especially with the documentation that you provided this morning because it truly demonstrates like how in the world are they getting paid that much? I mean, I posted, a, I, I did a Google search and it said that the the average salary um, for Cayman was, uh, I think it was 57,000 something. 
64,198. But if you look at that salary range, it's for those people that have professional degrees. Right. Now, now the average, and, and again, I, I'm an expat, even though now I'm, I'm, I'm able to, to live here permanently. Um, but I mean, a lot of those are expats, but the regular Kamanian family um, mm -hmm. who, who have, you know, they say at least 3.5 children um, and, and they're construction workers or they have, you know, just labor jobs. They're, they're not even close to getting the regular salary of, of an MP. And it just, you know, to, how they're able to support their families on that. And yet they feel this sense of entitlement. I, I just, I, I really don't get it. And again, you know what came on? It's up to you as a people to, to stand up for yourselves, stand guard and, and make a change. Like that's what I think coming into 2021, we're able to take time to step back and actually realize or, or reflect on what needs to be done. And I think if anything, walking into 2021 is to learn from 2020, but also to, um, have a have a time to set the restart button like let's mm -hmm. let's let's reset you know new government new blood um power to the people take take charge of your country i mean you know comedians you, you guys have the power you have the right and stand up for yourselves yes thank you tracy wow some good wise words there and uh yeah i mean i think you were not the only person flabbergasted this morning so anyone else wants to join in um, and share the comments, Tracy, we appreciate it. Welcome to the whole, the cold hard truth. And we're giving you the whole truth too here exactly. on uh, Cayman Wall Road. We appreciate it. Well, one of the things that I saw and I made, I made a comment in the, in the section because I did, I did do some volunteering over the holidays. And I mean, it, it is amazing how many people even to this day are living without power. And, and it's not, you know what people are saying oh real estate is is booming and construction is booming and all of these other things are booming but mm -hmm. they're but they don't realize that you know what there's people here like i live in west bay and there's people here they have no power they're relying on local charities like meals on wheels um just to have food in their belly or to feed their kids i mean you know even though cayman is seen as as a rich and prosperous country their local people are, are they're you know they're relying on local support i mean um crack conk they gave out 2500 dinners alone on christmas day and they weren't the only one and and you could see how many local charities um that started up after the pandemic or even the lockdown in in march um that that ended up popping up and you realize that all of these people needed help and where did they get the help from they got the help from the local community. The government didn't help. There was no government organization that um, mm -hmm. had any food plan that gave any food aid. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they gave, you know, like they, they gave like a, a few checks or support for um, people. But I mean, there, there was no there was no government support. Like all of these local charities like Meals on Wheels and all of these that this is done by volunteers and by the generosity of the local community. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Hundred percent. As Karen says, you're hundred percent spot on. Wow. It's, it's crazy. It really is crazy. Tracy, thank you so much.
Yeah, no problem. I appreciate it. All right, folks. Um, I can't argue with anything that Tracy has said. She's making good sense, folks. Anybody else wants to jump in? Um, there's the link. I think what I'm going to start doing just to make it easier for you guys to find the link is um, when we schedule the show, what I'll do is I'll actually put the link to join in like in that top section there so that you'll know what it is beforehand. Uh, Ervalyn, she's smacking herself in the head. Um, any, any comment, Ervalyn? Let me know if you want to jump on. Let us run back now to Kevin. My apologies, Kevin. This is sometimes how it is on, on the mall road. Um, you know, we've got multiple balls up in the air at the same time. But again, I was saying that, um, yes, Janet says poor Kevin is waiting. <laughs> yes, we're sorry, Kevin. But Kevin is a young man who's trying to better himself and um, further his education. Kevin, give the people, the listeners, a little bit of rundown on what is going on with you and why are you here this morning? Well, basically, um, I've been living on island for about three years and um, recently graduated from University College of the Cayman Islands as well. And I always had the goal to further my education. So um, about around last um, this year, last year, January, I applied to universities in the UK and um, in Canada as well. Um, I was able to get a few offers um, and I was able to also get into my dream school. And after that moment where um, I no longer had to worry about, oh, um, will I get in? And now um, had the, the task to seek um, funding to mm -hmm. pay education. And being the fact that I'm not a Cayman citizen, it, it was um, very difficult to, to seek funding. So right now I'm on that um, journey to um, find funding to, um, for my education. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I I received, I was supposed to start um, in September, um, but because of the virus and um, um, the borders being closed, it was um, very difficult to, to um, apply for a visa. And um, I, ha I, would have to, I would have had to um, fly to Jamaica to um, do the biometrics and, and all those stuff. So I decided to defer my offer my course all the way to January. And I don't have the option to um, defer um, further along because um, if I do so, then I would lose my admission offer. Mm. So time is very much of the essence at the moment. Yes, very much. Okay, so tell us now, break it down. Um, what what fees are you looking at having in your hand at the moment to at least start the process? So, you know, if someone was able or a couple of people were able to get together and help you out to be on your way, what are we looking at in terms of dollars and cents? Well, um, this semester that I'm supposed to start, um, I believe next week, is I'm discovering courses that um, because the what I did at UCCI and 
um, what I'm transferring didn't transfer exactly to two years. So um, the goal is to do this semester, mm -hmm. and do the courses, and that way I'll be on track to start third year in September 2021. Um, it's mm -hmm. five courses, 15 credits, and it adds up to a cost of around 20,000 US dollars. So you started um, a GoFundMe page. Is that page still up and running? Still up and running. Okay. So I'm going to try to find the link here and, sh and save it in the comment section. Um, so pretty much, Kevin, this young man is looking for any assistance at all that he can get to reach his monetary goal so that he can start the first um, semester, basically the first year. And he's looking at about 20,000 U.S., to cover, um, you know, books, tuition, whatever. I'm assuming that covers your housing and so forth as well. Um, only covers tuition. Um, the tuition. That will we'll, uh, offer the courses is going to be fully online, which is which is great because I can take the courses here. And the ultimate goal is to um, do perform well enough to qualify for um, in-student awards and discounts as well. And I confirmed it yesterday with my enrollment services advisor as well, that um, as long as I do minimum 12 credits, mm -hmm. um, well enough, I can qualify for financial aid and tuition discounts. Okay. So you're hoping just get, get in there, get started. And um, the idea then is through your hard work and dedication academically, you will reap some of the benefits of that by way of tuition discounts and so forth. Exactly. Okay. How can people reach out to you, um, Kevin, if they want to speak to you a little bit further on this? Do you have a contact number or email address or something um, that people could reach out to you? Yes, they can reach out to me to on my phone number, which is 547-6530. And my email address is kevin2014. Joel, J-O-E-L, at Gmail. Okay, so folks, um, it's not often that you see young people being motivated enough to start a GoFundMe page and to say, hey, you know, I want to pursue this um, option in terms of improving myself, getting an education. This is my passion. This is what I want to do. Uh, and they're bold enough to ask for help. And I think that that's awesome. I, I personally applaud, you know, we've had, a few people that have done it over the years, but I personally applaud this initiative. Um, you know, he's looked at the traditional options. He does not qualify for a government scholarship because he's not Caymanian, but nonetheless, I think that this is something that would benefit him. And indeed it would benefit the people of the Cayman Islands because Kevin may very well end up, you know, staying and living here for many, many years to come or even indefinitely when he's finished with his education. So folks, if you can offer um, any assistance at all to Kevin by way of his educational goals, please reach out. I know that you guys are amazing when it comes to helping people. I mean, so many of you have just helped me with a couple um, dollars in terms of paying my court fine, which I'm still working on, by the way. But, um, you know, a few dollars. What's the saying about every little, you know, whatever in the pot uh, will help? So please, please contact Kevin, his phone number 547-6530. Yes. And then his email address, just give them an email address again. So Chantel is saying, praying for a miracle 
for you, Kevin. What we need is, we don't need a miracle. What we need is we simply need people to step up and assist. That yeah, ain't a miracle, folks. That's just good old hard, stick your hand in your pocket and make a donation to Kevin's educational fund. Um, so give us your email address once more, Kevin. Kevin2014, Joel, J-O-E-L, at gmail.com. Okay. All right. Yeah, Any I'll final words, Kevin, before we let you go? Give out a special thanks to a few people who, during my time at CCI, were came in clutch because it was also, during my last year, it was also challenging to um, pay for my courses. Um, I'm grateful to um, the Seventh-day um, Philadelphia Adventist Church, to Polar Bear, and to Andrew Group, who were um, generous to help me. And I'm very thankful and grateful for them. Awesome. Good stuff. All right, Kevin. Well, good luck to you. Um, keep us updated on how you're getting on. Uh, I think we've got a couple leads that we can certainly um, push in your direction for people that you can talk to as well who might be in a position to help you. And we wish you all the best of luck. I mean, trust me when I tell you that there's really nothing more important in the world um, than educating yourself. Because once you've got that between your head, uh, the, you know, no one can take that away from you. And there's a certain degree of power involved in that. So congratulations on the decision and your efforts um, to achieve that goal. Thank you very much. All right, folks, that's Kevin joining us again this morning. Please reach out to Kevin if you can assist, if you know of anyone that can assist. Maybe Kevin hasn't thought of all of the um, available resources. If you know of any private institutions that might be offering scholarship assistance that could help Kevin, please give him a call at 547-6530. I'm sure that he would appreciate any leads on how he can go about trying to at least get through year one. And then I think, you know, after he gets through year one, as he said, he will be able to um, work very, very hard, prove himself, and hopefully get the benefit of some tuition assistance along the way. Um, so, yes, that sounds wonderful. Again, thanks, Kevin. So this evening, today is Tuesday. Um, and this evening, we do have an evening program. I want you guys to tune in. Mark your calendars for 7 p.m because we will be hearing from Miss Angela um, Hutchinson, who we have heard from before on the program. And in case you may have forgotten, Miss Angela is actually um, the lady who, with along with her family, is going to be homeless at some point. Um, she's been issued an eviction notice by the National Housing Development Trust here in the Cayman Islands. Um, and we... A lot of you were coming and asking, well, what is the update and Miss Angela? What is her situation? You know, what is she doing? And so on and so forth. And so um, you'll get the update tonight at seven o'clock. So mark your calendars for that. Please tune in. It's already scheduled. As a matter of fact, allow me to just share the link real quick with you guys so that you have that. Uh, Tracy says, may we all come together to support the future of Cayman. Kevin, you're an inspiration and a great example to those that want to better themselves. Perhaps a GoFundMe page. Yes. So Tracy, he has set up a GoFundMe page. So let me just see if I can, um, give me one second here. Let me see if I can find the link 
and I'll put it in the comment section. So he has done that. So um, by all means, uh, folks, you know, reach out. Listen, every, what, what's the Caribbean saying about cocoa tea in a basket or whatever? In other words, every little bit, thanks for the link there, Kevin. There's the GoFundMe page link. Every little bit helps. No one person might have $20,000 you asked to give to Kevin. But if you have $200, you have $500, you have, you know, it all adds up, folks. And before you know it, Kevin will be at his goal. So I encourage you to assist. Um, Kevin has just shared the link. Thank you, Tracy. Tracy, share that link far and wide with all of your friends so that Kevin can get the assistance that he needs. It is so much easier for us to sit back at the tail end of things when our young people are not performing, um, when they're not doing well. And then we say things like, well, you know, yes, that's always easy uh, to criticize them afterwards. But when they're striving hard and they're pushing and they're trying to do their best, we are as a community really responsible to ensure that they have every possible opportunity, folks, to try to get it, get that degree, get that piece of paper, whatever the situation is, right? So let us do our part. Um, Ervalyn, there's the link. Yes, one, one cocoa, full basket. Thank you, Ervalyn. <laughs> That's the exact same that I was thinking of. One, one cocoa, going to fill that basket. Tracy, thank you so much. Ervalyn, thank you. Thank all of you, good folks. Janet, Anne, Karen, Celicia. Who else was here this morning? Charlene, uh, Avril. Avril shared a link. We'll have to see. That's the salary scale of December. Oh, Avril shared an updated link. Thank you, Avril. I'm going to go grab that after the show. Because one thing I know for sure, the salaries have certainly not decreased. They've probably increased. So perhaps we need to have a look at the link there that Avril has sent. Thank you, my dear Avril. Holly, every one of you, Miss Linda, Mitchell, thank you guys so much. Miss Sue. Marshall, Darlene, Juanita, Sharon, Curtis from the BRAC, if you're still listening. Atlas, of course. Jake, where's Jake? Morna, you guys make this show um, amazing. And you make this platform what it is in terms of being able to bring you information. So thank you guys very, very much. Hey, Debbie, what's going on, girlfriend? Thank you all for tuning in. I hope today was informational. It was certainly an eye-opener to be able to go through these MLA salaries and all the other allowances that they get. I have some questions in relation to this that I'm going to attempt to get answered. And so let us see now if the MLAs are going to be... Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Let's see now, folks, if the MLAs are going to be forthcoming in their answers to any of our questions, because we want to know. We really, really deserve to know um, what's going on here. So uh, Morna, thank you so much. Um, Tracy says 20,000 US dollars is only 16,608. 
So um, if out of 65,000 people, if we all donate a quarter, 25 cents, we could get Kevin on his way. That's a beautiful way of breaking it down and having it make sense and thinking about it in that way. So Lisa says, we're the only employers who are subject to our employees deciding their own salaries, added benefits and security. Uh, thank you. Salicia, kaboom is right. Um, yes, thank you, Tracy. All right, folks, tune in 7 p.m. tonight. Mark your calendars. Um, this will be an update on Angela's situation. We also have coming down the pipeline, I think tomorrow evening, we will be having a conversations with segment uh, with Sabrina Turner, candidate for prospect. So as we all look at the existing um, MPs that are in there, some of you are happy with what you have and many of you are not happy with what you have, folks. So at the end of the day, if you ain't happy, guess what? Change it. Sabrina is a local businesswoman, community activist, community leader. She participates in her community for many, many years. And now she has decided to throw her hat in the ring uh, when it comes to being an elected member. And so join us for our first exclusive interview, Conversations With, where we really delve in and, you know, we're going to have some discussions um, with Sabrina about who she is, in case you've ever wondered. Yeah. Awesome. All right. That's all she wrote for now, folks. It is Tuesday. I want you guys to go out there, have a beautiful, productive day. Um, big shout out to everyone who does their part to make this the best place in the world. It can be better and we got to continue to do better. So we'll see you guys at 7 p.m. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Cold Hard Truth. Make sure to check Facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at caymanmarlroad.com. Subscribe to our IG and Facebook pages to get the latest happenings.